Hey, it's Ben here. And in addition to this podcast, I also teach Microsoft Excel online. Visit ExcelExposure.com for more information and use the coupon code FAILURE for 20% off of the lifetime access to the course. Stay tuned after the episode for a little bit more information as to why it's so important to improve your Excel skills and unlock your inner Excel ninja. Thanks. Hey there, this is Ben Currier, self-proclaimed world's number one failure. In this podcast, we'll learn about the hardest moments my guests faced and the failures they endured on their path towards making it. I hope you enjoy. Uh, hey there, friends of failure. This is Ben Carrier, and uh, welcome to this week's episode of the Failure Guy podcast. I am here with D.B. Marshall, the author of the recent book, uh, Love's Pursuit. Hey there, D.B. How are you? Hey, hey, I'm wonderful. Yes, man. Just living and breathing and just being able to say just thank you for this moment. Thank you for this day. So thank you for having yes. me. Yes. Well, that's good. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm also living and breathing and, and very excited about it. And uh, I'm looking <laughs> forward to finding out more. I've heard certain things uh, based on what I've listened to of your podcast, like podcast history. But do you uh-huh. want to give the listeners just a little insight as to what you think would be a good intro as to who you are before we get started? Maybe I usually say a shameless brag, but anything that tells about like the positive things you've done or what you would like to be known for prior to like going into the deeper stuff. OK, well, um, well there's two things that I would like people to know one i am a universal servant basically that means that i have been put on earth to serve others and i know oftentimes we talk and hear a lot about me 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 just worry about you just worry about you you know this me movement not me too don't get it confused but this me (laughs) movement where people are being really selfish and so there's a good side and a bad side to that so i'm a universal servant um the second thing that i would like for people to know about me is i'm ever changing i'm ever growing i'm ever evolving you know i have my good days i have my not so good days and i have my really great days um you know bragging rights for you know if people want to know i'm a social worker i'm in the process of getting my um, clinical license i'm also a doctoral student which i write my dissertation around the african-american community Um, the African-American population and kidney disease because I am a kidney patient as well, stage three, um, nine years diagnosed and um, living and thriving and surviving all of the good stuff. Um, In addition to that, I'm a kidney ambassador. I work another full-time job and I've just recently, of course, like you said, written a book, Love's Pursuit Journey to Wellness, where we talk about a lot of, you know, adversities and mental health issues that's out there, especially in the Black community. Um, and I know, you know, all communities deal with mental health, but the Black community is a huge, huge, huge stigma associated with it. So it's mm-hmm. my way of giving back to try to destigmatize, but also break it down in a way that people can relate. So, yeah. I have a weird uh, insight into your life, probably meaning uh, the kidney side, because I used to work at a company called Renal Ventures and they do dialysis and whatever, Remicade and all those other things. So I know all about biologic infusions and the cost per milligram and all that stuff that I don't want to (laughs) know, but I still can't forget about some of it and how crazy the just American insurance system is. We would uh, just to give anyone who's listening insight, we would build companies. So like, let's say you got Remicade, which is a, uh, arthritis drug, but there are, you know, plenty of kidney drugs. I'm not sure which ones were which, cause I'm a finance guy. So I was like always just tracking the cost of a drug, mm-hmm. but I do know we were doing a lot of dialysis and other kind of uh, biological infusion, mm-hmm. but you could bill a company. So we would, uh, give someone an infusion and then you bill blue cross or whoever $80,000. And you don't know if they're going to pay $0, if they're going to pay $80,000, if they're going to pay some percentage of it. And then even after they pay you, you don't know why they paid it that way. And you don't know if that'll predict the future. So meaning like it's such a weird system that we don't even, if you're a person billing someone, a company, you don't know how to predict how much money you're going to get. Wow. that's Which is crazy. So if you're a patient and you want to just pay some, I mean, how how are you going to survive if the companies can't even figure it out, you know, between them? So it's just, it's crazy to me, uh, some of that stuff. And I'm, I'm dealing with all sorts of different parts of the insurance thing, but I'm glad you're, uh, your description of yourself as a servant is amazing because it's certainly not, or I'd say it's more a self-effacing and not a, yeah. the, the, given the platform to brag and not bragging uh-huh. is a great uh, <laughs> <you> know, insight. <laughs> but, uh, but let's I mean, talk more about this way. book. Cause I know. So like, um, so you've been divorced twice and two, both of them are 
multiple 10 year relationships. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, um, I've been married twice and divorced twice. I don't know what it is with 10 years, but 10 years seems to be my, my number. Um, but yeah, so I decided to write the book because people will say, Oh, you should, you know, you have an incredible story. You should write a book. And I always let people know that I'm not a, you know, like a writer. I'm not an avid reader. I'm not a writer. Um, yeah. I'm writing my dissertation and yeah, I wrote this book, but it took a whole lot of hard work to do that. And so in the book, well, let me say this. It started out as a collaborative project. And what ended up happening is the gentleman that I was writing the book with decided he didn't like the direction where the book was going. So I was like, oh, what am I going to do? I just cannot, you know, publish a half a book. <laughs> so yeah. I went out and um, I found six other entrepreneurs and I asked them what they tell their journey to wellness story. And I told them, listen, I will fund the whole project. Don't worry about it. Just tell your story. And I want to help elevate and promote you in your business in addition to also helping readers who will choose to read the book. And it was like, oh, cool. And so um, that was the most beautiful thing because I learned a lot about these individuals because they were very raw as I was in telling our stories. And so with that said, it's a total of seven and a, seven of us. And we just talk about different um, issues and challenges and adversities that we had experienced and how we overcame those particular um, adversities. And I figure, hey, if these entrepreneurs can do it, you know, why can't anyone else? And hopefully we can give actionable steps that will resonate with the reader and, you know, put them into play and you know, do what they have to do to manifest whatever goals and dreams that they have. It's crazy how much of a similarity there is that I did not know between us because I started this podcast similarly trying to write a book, realizing I'm not well uh, versed in failure enough, or at least I've only been fired from every job I've had, but that's a specific type of failure, not necessarily all there is. So I figured I would interview other people, get some content to maybe make myself a better expert in the subject. And uh, I, I did watch your promo video and I didn't realize that's why those specific people were highlighted. I thought there were people maybe men mentioned in the book, but not necessarily featured characters. Yeah. Yeah. So mm -hmm. it's good to know that there, um, the, there's a uh, theme kind of tying it through. So you're saying six people plus you is seven. Yeah. Yeah. That's correct. Cool. And then, so how did you find these uh, people originally? <laughs> God sent them to me. <laughs> um, so, um, but from a logistical and practical standpoint, so I literally just went through the internet and I was looking for different, you know, entrepreneurs and I reached out to roughly about 37 I want to say out of the 37, maybe uh, 20 something responded and out of the 20 something, actually those six committed to the project. And I just thank God, because when I say it was a easy process working with them, there was no drama. They did what I asked. They met deadlines. Like I was like, oh, my God. I mean, life couldn't even be that much sweeter. And, mm -hmm. and I would say this. I asked them to only share what they wanted to share because I'm asking them to tell their story and it's, it can be kind of invasive, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so you have to keep in mind that the readers are really strangers and you're walking into their home, into their mind, into their hearts, and they are just made themselves vulnerable for the world to read. So that in itself was special. So I didn't want them to share anything that they were not ready to share or they have not healed from. Yeah, yeah, it's tough because like even, I'm trying to, I've, I've recorded some, I have not released any of them, but some interviews with my grandmother mm. and she surprisingly, I mean, everybody has issues. It's hard to know if people are going to be more worried about their own privacy or other people or whatever. But even she's like, Oh, I heard this thing about some guy getting hacked because of his podcast. I was like, first of all, no one knows who you are and no one knows anything about <laughs> no one's even listening. First of all, <laughs> but second of all, like, don't worry about what's going to happen negatively. But uh, it's, it's interesting to see, cause I didn't think I'm so comfortable with putting myself out there now. It's hard to remember when I wasn't or like caring. It's hard to remember a time where I cared enough to not put things out there and to be worried about who's going to hear something because I'm so far from that now. But like a lot of people are just, in defense mode almost when it comes to what they want to share and what they don't. So I'm trying to be a lot more uh, receptive to the privacy of others in a way that just meaning like uh, respect it and not come across as if I don't respect it because I forgot about it or whatever, you know? Um, so I appreciate that, it. Very true. No problem. No problem. And I try to tell people uh, for the most part, I'm an open book. If I get to a situation, even when I'm dating, <laughs> I practice this when I'm dating. I kid you not listeners. Um, 
when I'm not ready to share something, I, I simply say, you know, I'm not comfortable. I'm not ready yet. And that's really a good practice because one of the things that I've learned in life is that the things that are not said are things that is, that are lying dormant, right? And so we choose not to share certain things for a reason. Uh, one is perception. Two, you know, we just don't want to see who we are. And three, we're still looking in the mirror and dealing with some things that we're not so proud of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think um, for a long time, I would I would not be comfortable with sharing the real thing. I would just try and, and I wouldn't be comfortable saying I'm not comfortable. So I would just try to spin it into mm-hmm. a thing that made sense in the scenario, even if it's not real. Yeah. Now, it makes more sense to just be honest with people and say, like, meaning it seems sketchier when you try to dance around a thing. Yeah. And then they realize <laughs> that you're not comfortable. Rather, I mean, because usually it'd be something like I'm not comfortable or I don't know the answer of my own introspection. Yes. But I want to say something, so I'm going to fill the air with whatever. And so, you know, it takes a while to figure out even how much you're comfortable with, with letting people know. So how did you get past some of these things to let other people into your own life? Um, Actually, a lot of it is just really just kind of lying in my mess. And so there is a time after the second um, separation of divorce, I really had to sit down and figure out what was going on. And so... The thing that triggered that is when I was still together, when we were still together, I would always say, I lost my voice. I lost my voice. I feel like I don't have a voice. And the reason I said that, because at the time my spouse made three times as much money as I did. And so when we think about power, right? And so that's financial power. It gives them leverage to do and say whatever it is because they feel like they kind of carry the weight. And so when we when we were on good terms, those type issues didn't happen. But when I started realizing that the foundation started to crumble and to break down, I started witnessing this power was being used against me. And because I wanted the marriage to work so bad, I submitted in a lot of different ways and areas. And submission is not a issue because I think that, and I think I know there's power in submission. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we can get into God and submitting and all that stuff, but we're not going, that's a whole nother show. But yeah, your point saying, is power play in, in relationship dynamics yeah. and, and like an unfair playing right. field. Right. Mm-hmm. So that dynamic happened. And so when you want something so bad and you believe in something, oftentimes we will not honor those boundaries that we have, those personal boundaries that we put in a place for ourselves to protect us. And once those boundaries were not there, it's one of those things, you give them an inch to take a mile and they kept taking miles. <laughs> and yeah. I start realizing like, okay, at some point you're going to have to put a stop to this because it be it is becoming emotionally abusive. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you're not actually ever shown like relationships with healthy boundaries, you can think that there are no such thing as boundaries in the sense that like whatever you need to do is totally fine. And that's certainly not the case from my perspective. Uh, but I've done that version of, well, I want to be in this so bad. I'm going to do whatever it is kind of thing. Yeah. And that's never a, a source of power, at least unless that's where you derive power. But I certainly don't <laughs> no. from, from feeling powerless. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. And let me say this, because when I tell this story, I want to make it clear, like, I'm not attacking my ex-spouse or any of that. These were decisions that I made. These were my choices. I could have chose to do something else and respond somewhere else. I don't want it seems like, you know, I'm putting it on. Oh, they treated me like this and it wasn't emotional. Yeah, was it emotional? Yeah. Absolutely. Did I choose to stay in it? Absolutely. And so, you know, I don't have no ill feelings towards my ex, but I have to deal with my, that's, that's my demon. That's my cross. Yeah. It sounds like you almost have a, uh, you're defending against the potential of it looking like you're doing a power play with just information and media right. and like uh-huh. taking the, the, the fact that you have a voice and making sure that's not taken as a, uh, an attack on the other person. Right. They can well, easily take their, their side, but they probably won't because they're probably not that person right. <laughs> who's doing that out of context and so sometimes when we give examples and we're reflecting you know it's easy for someone to kind of and i think it's just 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 human nature to grasp onto the negative right and we see it in reality tv you know they can talk about all this negative stuff that happened and talk about the positive and what really fixed it but they are focused on the negative oh did you see neely leasing when she and it was like oh no bro, it is not that type yeah. of party here you know this is me coming into my realization on how i contribute to that situation and um I could have responded differently. 
I didn't. And so I stayed in it because that's what I chose to do and I wanted to do. And when I realized like, hey, you know, there was time I can remember going up to the bedroom and say, hey, because we had just came from therapy and it went south like really fast. And um, just basically they wanted to end it. I did not. And I'm still fighting to the very bitter end. And I had to come to the realization like, you know what? <laughs> they don't want you no more. <laughs> and it's okay. Because yeah. I remember walking in the bedroom, the master bedroom, and saying, you know, I think it's time for me to throw on a towel. And I can remember specifically them looking around and saying, yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> that should be the last one to get on, page, on the same page. <laughs> and I know it was like, they was like, oh, good grief thing. Jesus, when are you going to let go? But I was holding on. I was yet holding on. <laughs> I was. I really was. Yeah, well, it's tough, too, because you got it because it's a, it's hard to know what's hope versus what's just like dumb. You know, like yeah. what what makes what level of, uh, of of faith in this is a reasonable amount mm. versus too much. And like, at what point am I just screaming into the void for no reason? Uh, you know, no one no one's going to benefit from like uh, me pursuing this, even myself kind of thing. Yeah. So. What, what what do you think was there um any specific lessons that you learned from each divorce that you'd attribute to each one or do you think it was the same problems just different spin um so one of the things that i learned about myself in and somebody kind of had this i had this interview with someone and i was interviewing them like three years ago and she identified as being long suffering. I was like, Oh my God, that's what it is. The light bulb came on. So I'm this individual who don't necessarily believe in breakup or divorce and I would stay in it. And so I, that, that resonated with me long suffering. And so what did that, what was mean? the term you said? Long, long suffering, long suffering. Yeah. Um, and so that was just my soul participation and understanding and all of that is that because I don't necessarily believe in, you know, breaking up a divorce. It's like if there is an iota of love, hence love or two, is there an iota of love? Because I love love. I love love. I love being in love. I love everything about love. Love just feels so good most of the time. But people always think that love is supposed to feel good all of the time. No, that's not how it works, people. <laughs> yeah. But because of that, um, I just always would fight and fight and fight and fight for it. But uh, you have to realize that you can't always fight alone in it. And then there's sometimes that I see potential or the, whether it's potential of another person and the, or the potential of the relationship or the marriage and they don't see it. Right. So and and, and that's crazy because people see potential in me sometimes yeah. and I don't see it. So I can't even blame them for that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Potential like let's get. Oh, no, just another month. We're going to get through this. <laughs> oh, but, yeah. I'm the same thing, but with jobs like that's why I don't quit. I get fired because I just. I'm like, well, there's something here. I think we can, I think we'll get through it. And they're like, yeah. eventually like, no, we're not. See you later. We're not going to pay you in order to figure out how to get through this. But, yeah. uh, but I don't like quit or I don't think quitting is an option mm -hmm. or I haven't. Now I'm done. I'm not, I'm not going back to corporate America. So I basically quit in advance by not going back, but who knows how long that last. Cause like when I started the whole failure, I think I thought it was, I was hoping it was in the past, all the failure. I mean, uh -huh. I'm hoping the majority of it, but it, I didn't know it was coming you know, ready for me. So meaning like it's impossible to predict what's going to happen, but I do know that, uh, that I don't feel fulfilled when I'm doing accounting and finance. And so like, even if I can make money in it, I'm, I don't want to go back to that same old game. And even honestly in relationships, I might be doing more of an open relationship thing or something in the future. Cause I can't figure out how to make the monogamy thing work. But I think expectations are a huge part of it for me because if I don't expect something, then I don't get that upset when it doesn't happen. But if I expect yeah. it, I don't get it. It's a whole different ballgame. So like I, I've found that in order to hack my own stuff, like you were saying, you can't watch shows or whatever it was that we were talking about beforehand or get too deep into something because yeah. you'll get ensnared oh, in the, in the like reality TV of it or whatever. <laughs> uh, I do similar things where I got to like uh, just change my expectations around what is going to happen. Cause before I'm expecting anything, I'm fine. I'm happy as a clam. Yeah. And then once I think, I'm somewhere. And then I realize that was taken away, even though it was never had, mm -hmm. I get more upset than if I just had never thought I had it to begin with. So it's, it's weird. It's weird figuring out how your brain works and then how to intentionally trick yourself <laughs> to doing the right thing <laughs> that you know you should do anyway. Yeah. If it's okay, could I give two suggestions on a couple of things? That Please. You 
Um, so one of the things that you mentioned was like relationships or open relationships. So one of the things um, I don't necessarily believe in traditional tight relationships. And the reason I don't believe in that, it, because I've been in relationships and, you know, I've been in relationships where there was just a really a, a lot of infidelity. So the takeaway from that uh, was that just customize your relationship. So when you meet someone, do not bring a traditional relationship, bring a blank canvas, mm -hmm. you know, and you build what that relationship needs to look like you. It can be monogamy. It could be polyamory. It could be open. It could be open with conditions. Um, just build it. And I think because of social conditioning and also a lot, a lot of religious conditioning too, we have this mindset that we have to walk in it and it's supposed to look like um, leave it to Beaver. No, in a Brady Bunch. No, that, that is not real. <laughs> it was television, people. And yeah. so we have to realize that we come with different baggage, different mental issues, different struggles, different cultures, different, you know, just experiences along social economic classes. You know, you just have to figure out where everybody are. Meet each other where you are, not where you want them to be. It'll go a whole lot easier. And the second um, thing I want to say, I probably, oh, expectations. So what I've learned from expectations is that oftentimes we have invisible expectations. So expectations that we create in our head that we want our partner to abide by, and not just our partner, in our professional lives, just everywhere. We have these invisible expectations that have not been discussed. If it haven't been discussed, then it's invisible. <laughs> they aren't real until you create that foundation and it becomes concrete and it becomes concrete once the discussion has been had. And that's why a lot of people are walking around and they feel and emotions. So they think mom and daddy didn't did something to them. And when you sit down and have the conversation, you realize that's not what mom and daddy really did, but that was your perception of what they did that you thought they did. That really yeah. didn't happen. And so again, do your best to just make sure we have conversation and we can come up with the evidence that mm -hmm. you our expectations once we have that discussion. So yeah, yeah. I think those are great points. Cause so I think the first one I'm going to say, I'd call it uh cause I love mentioning it is just a, a choose your own adventure kind of relationship where, yes. you know, you can go at different pages. Uh, but I don't want to forget my second thing, which is going to be, uh, so I got recently, I don't know, it's really messy here. See the dog right there. Aww. I got a dog the other day. And I think your second thing about like unseen or invisible expectations or whatever it was called is good with the dog because I'm like, uh, I'm pissed at him when he's doing stuff that he's not supposed to do. But I'm like, I haven't even told you that you're not supposed to do it. I can't even, I don't even know how to tell you not to do it. But God damn it, I thought we had an agreement that you weren't going to like eat your own harness or eat my hat or whatever the thing is. But it's like, why would I expect you? You're an animal. You don't know what's going on, man. We just met like a month ago. So like, why would I think that we have some unspoken agreement where we yeah. can't even speak? <laughs> so like... <laughs> I think it's a good thing to like take, I, I've, I've used the the dog analogy a lot of times because this is my first personal dog, but I've had multiple with exes who've uh, kept the dogs. So I've like, I've been like a stepdad or everyone call it a bunch of times, but you know, it's hard uh, to know until you're actually living in it. Like what's, uh, what's it going to be like? And so right. I'm getting to know Goofy is his name. Oh, well, his real name is really name Goofy. Uh, so I named him Goofy, but his name was Drulius Caesar. So, and he shortens to drooly, and I don't love drooly saying it. So Goofy is close enough that it was uh, hearable for him, and, and I was cool with it. But, um, but he's just, uh, you know, I'm, we're getting to know each other. He's so much bigger than I thought. So he's got a lot bigger issues in terms of, like, just space and other yeah. things I didn't think of when I got him. So it's like uh, trying to just figure out what his deal is and how to trick him and myself into doing the right thing. And so, uh, so, but I think, you know, if you take the analogy and apply it to a relationship, I mean, how, how are you going to expect something from somebody if they haven't ever told you what, well, if you haven't talked about anything remotely about it, you know, what are you going to, why are you going to bring your own expectations to it and then put them in that box when you haven't even told them what box they're in, you know, exactly. or where they should be acting from or talking to you about, but I think a lot of that is like just about. I grew up not sharing feelings or talking to people about almost anything. So even just getting to talk about things was tough just to be open and honest about things. So I think a lot of people come from different points of comfortability when it comes to sharing their feelings. And a lot of people yeah. either are super open and, and happy to share things, which is kind of where I'm at now, but I never was there. And 
all the way to the other end where it's like, it's hard to share even with yourself, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I completely, I completely agree. And that's that, that challenge that we, we're always trying to work things out with people. We're always trying to understand people, but uh, one of the things that my book challenges individuals is really just understand yourself. Once you understand yourself, you'll realize life will go a lot more smoother. But you notice sometimes we invest more time in understanding other people and we don't even spend that amount of time in trying to understand ourselves or um, just taking care of taking care of myself. And when people talk about self-care, when I usually have conversations, is always, yeah, I'm, I go get a massage. I go get my nails. I said, that's the external stuff. What about the, the, the deep, rooted stuff that you really have to deal with? Start there. Start from the inside and work your way through to the outside. And I guarantee you, you're just a different life. You have a different lifestyle change. Absolutely. And a lot of people uh, confuse the problems they have with themselves to- with problems with the world. And if they can work through a lot of those and then the other problems kind of disappear because the basis for the problem is, is kind of gone, which is the, the, either the expectations or the whatever thing you're bringing to it. That's just uh, misinformed or misguided. It's just crazy how no one knows what they're doing. Like literally no one knows what they're doing. Even the person who knows the most barely knows what they're doing. I mean, they just have an idea and uh, it's just crazy because it's, life is proposed and shown in a way that seems like it's not the case. Mm-hmm. So the disconnect between like how much, <laughs> how much uh, knowledge there's professed to be in the world versus how much each of us have built into us. Yeah. It's just such a large gap that it's crazy that any of us think we know what we're doing uh, any of the time. Yeah. And it goes back to that thing. Like, you know, there's no guide to parenting. Now apply that to yourself. Like there's no guide to us raising ourselves, it's just trial and error. Just like your parents raised you traditionally, you know, from zero to 18 or zero to 21. Now I think zero to 25 with the new generation, the millennials. But after that, then they passed the baton off to the person that they hope they did well with raising only for that individual to then just try to figure out. And usually between the ages of 18, through 35, you are not really trying to figure out who you are. You're just trying to have fun. Mm-hmm, and yeah. so we, while we're having fun, we are really destroying other human beings. You know, we become vicious, we become jaded, we become envious and all of these mm-hmm. other things. And before you know it, we get to 35, 40 and realize like, oh, what the heck did <laughs> just happen? Then we want to kind of sort of start doing some soul searching and if you have kids between 18 to 35 then you really don't have a whole lot of time to give yourself right and so between your job your kid your family and you know extracurricular activities you're just denying who you are and not oftentimes walking in your purpose and that just 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 put you further in a state of depression sadness Mm -hmm. um hopelessness and all that other stuff yeah especially if you think like the world owes you a good parent or whatever and then you realize well wait, they a don't know what they're doing but they were also raised by people who don't know what they're doing and it goes back forever that way and it's just crazy uh to it's crazy the amount of expectations we put on people without there being like any basis for it uh in terms of like we need to be a lot more forgiving and it's hard to do that and i think you like you're saying it starts with yourself and forgiving yourself or whatever because a lot of times you can bring that perspective to the rest of the world if you're holding yourself to a standard that's kind of unreasonable as well well that was nice of democratic of you to say perspective i like to just call it foolishness mess (laughs) trash junk garbage baggage (laughs) because that's what it feels like sometimes like i've been in situations that people have really just kind of gone off on me and i'm like where is this coming from and, you know, and so I was reading actually something in my book. And one of the things that I wrote was um, oftentimes where people want to shift the blame or point the finger, they usually point the finger at or targeted at someone they're really close to because it's easier for them to be a scapegoat for their problems, you know, and they go off on them instead of holding themselves accountable. So uh, we see that a lot in our circles that you know, people just, just, just go in on you just because they're having a bad day or they don't like how yeah. something is going. And, you know, and, and they're just, they're just put, they're really grasp at straws. Like I've had that happen. Like really? Just projection and like misplaced uh, anger and stuff. Displacement. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, and it can be tough too. Cause if, if that person isn't realizing that they are having troubles with their own self, uh, it might not even come across to them as anything that they did. I mean, like they will never maybe understand what is going on and they'll yeah. still think it's the other person's fault mm-hmm. uh, throughout. So it's, it's interesting. I've tried to divorce as much as possible and I didn't use that term intentionally, but uh, myself and the judgments of how I'm acting mm-hmm. because I know I can be a piece of shit sometimes and like not act the way I should. Mm-hmm. And the more I can identify it and uh, like be like, what's going on, what's wrong with whatever my actions or my brain or whatever in this scenario and think about it as if I'm an external party rather than uh, putting too much ego into the thought process. Mm-hmm. Like what would I judge someone else who's doing the same kind of thing? Uh, yeah can be helpful, but it's tough because it's so difficult to, um, to shift a perspective to the point where you can actually give a, a objective opinion rather than get mired in all the, the weird stuff. And I don't even just have, I have a bad memory. So like, even knowing like all the things I did wrong in a relationship or whatever it is, forgetting those things and then still having like resentment, but realizing I'm, well, I was probably the problem, you know, it's tough to just uh, even be honest with yourself even with all the information and all of the tools, yeah. you know? So I think, uh, I think we all need to just lighten up on ourselves and everybody else just a bit and, yeah. you know, be more forgiving. I, I call it, give, give, you know, I call it giving ourselves grace, you know, and um, sometimes I'm extremely hard on myself because I want things, you know, to be of excellence and, and experience, and especially as a black male, um, oftentimes we feel that we have to work that much harder, look that much better, you know, cause we are trying to be seen or we're trying to get recognized or acknowledged for whatever it is that, you know, we do. And so, um, me being from the pro, you know, projects, I, you know, and I like to tell people I was po and I'm not poor, but po and is, is a huge difference, but me wanting to kind of come out of that type of community, that type of environment, I always just felt like I had to hustle to this day. I am still hustling, although I'm not in that type of environment. I'm still not where I would like to be, but I'm appreciating the steps of getting to where I know I should be. Yeah. It's interesting what, um, what people will assume about you based on either skin color or just reading, you know, judging a book by its cover kind of thing. Cause I say I'm the failure guy. And people are like, oh, don't be so hard on yourself, whatever. You know, you're not a failure. I'm not, that's not the point. The point is for me to be okay with the fuck ups of my life and and to just get past yeah. a lot of it, to be okay with talking about it and learning from it. And, uh, but, you know, everyone's viewpoint can be a lot different. And so like you're saying when people either view you as, uh, you're saying you might need to overcompensate for a lack of excellence or, or a need for external validation, I guess it would be because um, of your skin color or not. I think I similarly have a thing where I feel like people give me too much credit and I haven't done anything even just because I'm a white guy, you know, like I, or that things are easier for me or whatever the thing would be. Like there's a lot of assumptions that are baseless that go into things um, regardless of what it is. And it, it's only, I only ever think of race, honestly, when I'm talking with someone and it's typically a white person and then they become racist partway through the conversation. I didn't realize they were racist. And then I got to now not like this person anymore. Cause I like I just like people. I like talking to people. I yeah. love almost everybody if they're worth loving. And, but, but when you're white and talking to a white person, it can be very difficult to understand they're racist until you're way deep in a conversation. Yeah. And then you, and then you see the hints of it, especially cause I'm in Midwest America. So like I'm used to Boston where uh, I grew up in like, it's democratic and people, whatever, yeah, everyone assumes you're a liberal Democrat. <laughs> and now I'm like talking to someone and then 20 minutes of the conversation, they start ranting about black people. I'm like, Oh my God, I just waste all this time. Like trying to really be <laughs> legitimate with this person. And like, this is the kind of person I'm talking to. So yeah. it's like, it's like, I'm almost never thinking about racism when it's me talking to someone of another race. It's yeah. usually me talking to a white person and them getting all racist about it. It's <laughs> weird that that's like the, mm-hmm. the view that I have. Cause most of the time it's not, I mean, like uh, my best friend growing up was a black guy. Named, uh, his name is Taiwan. I'm pretty sure it's T-Y-J-U-A-N, Taiwan, which I only realized like maybe, I don't know, 20 years after knowing him. So like, cause I thought it was the T-A-I-W, who the hell knows what, how I would spell it. But uh, point is, 
um like i don't i don't come with a lot of um racist view viewpoints on it but it's gonna be so it can be easy to forget that a lot of people do come with that and living on the side of being persecuted for racism certainly you'd come with the idea that that's on the table mm-hmm. i just get a free pass when i get pulled over and all sorts of things like i get sort of benefits but i don't like have to think about why i got the benefits you know it's right. just like i just get an easier life in general but it's easy to forget like why i got it and also the struggles that other people have and it's it can be regardless of skin color let's say we're talking about you know just about um more of an economic thing because i grew up also like lower middle class and not having money is just it's the worst so i mean it sucks ass and i currently have no money so like meaning like i get a lot of the the lack of i want to be like i know i have a lot of issues with money and so i've tried to get to a point where i'm like beyond money which is not a thing that's possible so but in order to like get myself to life hack my way into caring about money. I have to like not yeah. care about it or care about it too much. I don't know what the thing is. I got to figure out me and money have a weird relationship. And so I got to like figure out how do I get myself to want it, but not have that be the goal, you know? Yeah. Money. And I think that's like, I think that's across the board with a lot of different people. Even I have a somewhat, I want to say a pessimistic view when it comes to money and finances, because, you know, that wasn't really anything taught in my family. And I can remember at the age of 14, I started working at Burger King and um, I asked my mom, my grandma was a member of the credit union. My mom also, because my grandmother worked for this, you know, Southern Bell, Bell South, I think AT&T owns it now. And so they, I, I remember asking them, can you please go open up my account? You know, to tell us that you have to give me permission. <laughs> and I did. And I opened up my first account and I literally taught myself about money. But even though I taught myself about money, I was always, it seemed like I was conditioned to always tell myself I didn't have enough. So I'm creating this relationship presently with money that is more positive. And so I kind of call it like abundance practices where I just sit down and become a comfortable with money, having conversations with myself about money. Like, you know, I have more than enough um, you know, everything in your wallet is going to, you know, be double, going to be triple. And mm-hmm. I think when we start having conversations with ourselves about money, we'll get a little bit more comfortable with it. And when we're, once we're comfortable with it, then I think I, it uh, also show in our actions and our behavior. So that's my thought process. But, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I like it. Well, I think, cause my thing is like, uh, I can make, um, I, I was just recently fired again, uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, but I was making like a hundred thousand a year almost. So like I can make money, I can't keep it. I can't figure out like uh, I can tell other people what to do with their money. I can't do that myself. Like I can, uh, I, I do financial planning and analysis, which is hilarious. I, I joke that I don't like taking my work home with me, but it's really just I'm tapped out with finances by the time I get home that I don't want to think about my own money at all. Yeah. So I got to like, so I, I decided I got to like not work in finance in order to get my own shit in you know water. <laughs> yeah, like I got to do anything else because otherwise I'm just so tapped out. I'm like 120% done with money by the time I get to my own money, you know? Yeah, it's like driving for the, the metro transit system and then come home and you want me to drive for Lyft and Uber? No, that's yeah, not and, happening. And I just made you a bunch of money and not me money. I mean, like I, I'm making you rich. <laughs> yeah. My yeah. smarts or whatever. So I'm like if I, if I could spend as much time as I've spent either making other people rich or pursuing women, if I could take either one of those and have directed it to my own things, I'd be amazing. But I can yeah. put an infinite amount of time into chasing women and I can put an infinite amount of time into whatever, like doing things that don't have a monetary value. So like this podcast, I have not tried to monetize in any way at all because I know once I do, it's going to get weirder. And the relationship that I have with it is going to get stranger. So the longer I can like just embrace the fact that it has no money aspect to it until I figure mm-hmm. out what my money thing is then I know that I will at least not taint it with, uh, with weirdness because, um, you know, it's just, it's, I'm not sure what it's like, I'm not comfortable yet. Like you're saying, I'm not ready yet to, to figure out what my thing is with that. So I don't want to introduce it to things that I care about. Yeah. I mean, all I can say today, preach pastor Ben, you, you said a word cause I, you know, I encourage people all the time you know, be careful what you're doing with these companies because they pay you, you know, unlike you get paid six figures, but uh, we get oftentimes paid 30, 40, $50,000 and they are paying you for your creativity. And I teach people that your creative creativity is where the fuel is stored. 
Okay. It's where your talents and your gifts are. And so your job hire you to do a service, provide that service at the bare minimum. Why I say yeah. that? Because they don't pay you overtime for any yep. extra, you know, yeah. when they give you your evaluations, you better be okay with just being satisfactory. Okay. And I know they don't teach us that in school. Oh, we got to get, Hey, you want to get higher? Excellent. Excellent. Every time you decide to give excellence to your company, you make them billions and you go home. And oftentimes we live paycheck to paycheck, take that time of energy, come home and put into something that you enjoy doing, you love doing and let your creativity then make you money. That's why we have the Beyonce, the Jay-Z's, you know, the Tyler Perry's like they took their creativities and they are making the money that they want to make when they want to make it on their own dime. And so with that said, you have to do the same for yourself because these companies, you'll be lucky if they send you a flower arrangement. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's crazy because I so I've, I know because I've been on the side of like, oh, they're not going to fire me now that six times now. And, you know, it's it's amazing because if they're going to pay you X, whatever it is, blank dollars to do your job, mm-hmm. if they can't make blank dollars plus anything else, you're gone. Instant. I mean, it's like it's not even funny how you could be a benefit. You could still be making them more than they would pay you and they'll still cut you loose because I've thought I'm too important for them to fire me. And I've been surprised every time that they'll drop you and they'll do even more work to get rid of you. Like they'll go out of their way to, to hurt you. I mean, like, it's crazy. Like the lack of um, just generosity and like uh, niceness in corporate America or whatever you want to call it um, is so lacking. It's, it's insane Yeah. to the point, like I don't want to even be involved with it because until they figure their shit out and start treating people right, well, what's the point? Why are we just going to make rich people rich all the time? Is that really all it is? You know? And so companies never really value um, people. I mean, if you really look back back in the 60s and 70s, when you stayed on your job and retire after 25, 30 years, you know, they give you a clock. <laughs> after, you know, 20, 30 years, yeah. and I'm like, that's that's the value <laughs> that you put on these years. But that was yeah. a big thing. Oh, I worked these years to get this go watch. Or, you know, or with Mary Kay, um, you know, um, you know, they work till they get this pink Cadillac and that's all good and dandy. But when you compare that Cadillac to your profits that you made compared to their bottom line, dude, yeah. they are. And people, people don't know how much they could do with their own thing. I mean, yeah. like how much uh, power they have uh, and it's not easily attainable. It's not like it's uh, you just go out and all of a sudden you're a success, but people have the ability to do a lot more than they think. And the only way you can know that is by going out and trying to do things and, and seeing what else you can do. Cause if you've got some weird talent, try to figure out a way to like uh, make that a a way to make you money and not just someone else's money. I completely agree. And it goes back to your show, you know, the fear you got, like you have to go through the trials and tribulations in order to, you know, master your gift to understand your talents, how to utilize and, you know, persuade people to even allow you to come and present your gift, you know, to the world. And I'll, you know, I tell people uniqueness pays, you know, nobody don't want anybody else that sounds like another Beyonce is already a Beyonce out there. So be authentically yourself. I don't care what the world is saying. I'm telling you, uniqueness what gets you where you need to be and when you're supposed to be yeah. real fast. And I think the thing you said about um, being satisfactory or whatever, don't, or like, don't give too much. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't emphasize that more. I'd say I, the thing I say is keep the time you save. So like, for example, my boss recently, they were going to offload something from my boss to me. It took him like seven hours a week to do. And it would take me probably 15 minutes by doing my awesome Excel stuff to make it take 15 minutes. Uh, like I spend whatever, 10 hours and then it'll take 15 minutes forever. Uh, if I do that, I, there's no chance I'm going to let you guys know that it takes me 15 minutes. I'm going to take seven hours because you would have paid the other guys seven hours right. at more money to do it. <laughs> so I'm going to take six hours and 45 minutes to go fuck off. And then 15 minutes before it's due, I'm going to give you what you wanted because I know you wouldn't do the same for me. You wouldn't give me more than you absolutely need to. So why would I, why would I flip it around when, I mean, I'm happy to, I've always, I've always done the flip it around version, but since it never comes back from, at least from a, a employer employee kind of a thing, um, I'd say wait and don't give too much until you're sure they deserve it because, because uh, they'll just keep taking from you and, and you'll be it in will. this, you'll be in a deficit of 
giving too much and then just feeling that's pissed off. That's so, man, that is so true. It's almost like, think about it, like giving blood, like they were drained and <laughs> dry and don't let it be cutbacks or anything like that. And, um, and again, that's something we also address in the book, like that occupational wellness piece, like you have to create balance in that because um, like I worked in social service fields, like we were on call, we were doing all kinds of things. Yeah. If you're a 24 seven type of thing and like yes. you're, have to mentally be available all the time. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and they, I went up to being a case manager all the way up to a director and only to be, um, you know, I experienced racism at that level and which shocked me because I never dealt with racism. So like you, you know, I was really raised and um, to look at people as human beings, my mom was very, very strict about that. Like there was no bluer lines when it came to treating human beings um, like human beings. Even she used to take us to see homeless people and um, oh, just all kind of people. And she always said, you treat them just like you treat your brothers or your sister or cousin. Like she just drilled that in us. So all I saw growing up and to this day, <laughs> until I experienced racism, I just saw human beings that had feelings and emotion and that had their own particular experience and story. But, uh, you know, um, unfortunately, what, you know, number 40, what, what number was he? 45 took office. A lot of things shifted. And I start experiencing that a little bit more because I start experiencing this like blatant overt type of racism. Almost, it was I okay. Mean, it was like, uh, yeah, I gave him permission. Yeah. When the number one voice in the country, whatever you want to call it is, is a shitty one and uh, enabling a lot of other shitty voices. It sucks. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't think we were that bad, you know, until that happened. <laughs> like, let us know like, we're pretty shitty oh, <laughs> real you know and i've been in some heated arguments growing up and in college and you know my you know with my black friends yeah they did and i'm like that is not my experience that is not my spirit like you know i was telling them no we are we are beyond that you know and i look at things now i was like clearly i was wrong um yeah. i i just was afforded a life that really pre, pre, you know prohibited for that type of behavior to happen to me and I'm fortunate and I'm very happy that it didn't but once I got a dose of it I didn't know what to do I didn't know how to cope I didn't know how to respond yeah it was bad yeah because I like uh when you mentioned uh some of the the way you grew up like I was president of the uh soup kitchen club in in high school and like uh, the nursing home club so like doing a lot of stuff where like it the people who are forgotten and then looking at them as people, which is how it should be. But then yeah. after you do that enough, you you forget it's even a thing that people don't look at it that way. And then you end up working for like a billionaire and you see him uh, doing things where like he won't pay his vendors on time when you're like, OK, well, you have more money than them. First of all, we know this. You know this. Uh, you're not going to pay them. But then also you're going to do all sorts of sketchy shit on the other side to make more money. Like it's just so selfish and crazy that I don't understand a lot of times how people can be the way they are with without like severe distance between themselves and everyone else, like in terms of like what they view humanity as even, mm-hmm. you know, it's crazy. So I, I just, uh, I'm glad you're of a similar mindset where at least, I mean, everyone should be treated well until they're shown that they shouldn't be treated well. And then they still should be treated well within re- reason, <laughs> you know, like uh, <laughs> it, I, it's, it's hard for me when people are, whatever we'll, we'll, we'll use racism as an example, but like, um, you know, they'll discount a whole bunch of people for no reason, really, you know, just yeah. because of something they were told when they were growing up or whatever it is. Uh, and it was drilled into them. Usually it's how you brought up, like you were saying, your parents told you to, to like everybody or whatever. And, um, it's, it's just interesting how much we do or don't know about what guides a lot of our behavior, you know? Yeah. And, and and it goes back to you know that self awareness because it's 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 so it's so deep man like and even me going through my transformational process after the divorce it took me three and a half years before I can even look at someone to even think about dating and when I did start dating the first thing came out of my mouth is like I'm not ready I'm damaged goods and no I'm not gonna date you. And they, they and they wouldn't get it. Like, dude, they was like, oh no, I, we can work, we can make this work. And I'm like, I'm not ready. <laughs> I'm damaged yeah. good. I promise you, I'm gonna hurt you. It was like I'm, a self-preservation in advance kind of thing, or what was it? Yeah, like I, but before we eat, but you know, we exchange, hey, I'm so-and-so, I'm so-and-so. And once they let me know, hey, I'm interested. I come with a, I came with a disclaimer, bro. 
<laughs> I came with a disclaimer. I just got of a really bad situation. I'm damaged goods. I'm still healed in emotionally. And these are the steps that I'm taking. Right, first is church. Then is therapy. You know, then is, you know, praying and chanting. Then is, you know, like I literally just gave them yeah. everything and they still wanted to mess with me. And I was like, well, yeah. I think it's that self-care thing you're talking about. Like people don't understand what self-care is. So you're like too deep into it. Yeah. And people are like, what are you even doing? Just let's go yeah. have fun or <laughs> whatever. That's it. Yeah. And I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to do that because what happened is, you know, I hurt you. Then you hurt because I hurt you. Then you go date someone else and you're hurting someone else. It's like. Yeah. And he hurt you probably cycle. too. Everybody's yeah, hurting each other. Like, nah, I'm not passing that energy on. I'm messed up. <laughs> and until yeah. I get myself together, we cannot do this. You know. Yeah. So. Well, I think it's not bad. I mean, it's better. It's well, it's there's certainly debate about what the best move would be. But I think uh, trying to hurt the least amount of people is always a good. Yeah. yeah. Good vibe. And that, and that, that was my goal is like, I just want to make sure, you know, I do my due diligence and, you know, deal with whatever feelings and emotions that I had and make sure that they are on point and rectified so I can be the best version of myself. And one of the things I took from the airlines industry um, that I think is very important when they say, you know, before you put the mask on your child's face, make sure you put it on your face. So, that's mm. how I approach that whole method. Like take care of myself first, take care of myself because when you're good, you're blessing other people and you pouring into other people. You can't pour into an empty cup when you don't yeah. where your cup is in. Like you can't pour anybody when you have an empty cup. So like, mm -hmm. dude, fill your cup up. Like for real, for real. Yeah. And, but all, and also like, uh, it's hard to have regret or think you didn't do the right thing. If your shits together, like yeah. if you, if you know that you're good, uh, with yourself, then you're likely acting from a source of, of <laughs> unable to regret at least that you had all the information at the time and you're doing the best you can, you know? Yeah, that's true. Let me tell you this, this story. So when I got to the point where I worked on my mess and I would meet <laughs> people, and they would look at me weird and they would tell me about their experience. And I'll say, and I'll respond to them, you know, mm, yeah, that's really not my experience. Mm, and yeah, I really don't have that. Like, no, people don't come to me like, and they give me this old nasty look like, well, who do you think he is? You think he better than me? Let me tell you, when you work, like you said, when you work on your stuff, you know, for a fact, the crap that's coming out that person's mouth and experiencing has nothing to do with you. Like, yeah. it's almost like a third eye. It's crystal. It's crystal clear and they try to project that mess on you now the, I, my, not my ex was able to do that in that divorce yeah. before the divorce but now yeah they got a shield now yeah I, this ain't no food no this is you yeah you can say whatever you want to say but i'm not buying it no. yeah it's harder to be tricked or fooled <laughs> yes. into thinking that you're the problem when you know you really tried your best to make sure you're not the problem yeah like because i worked on it let me tell you what you yeah. work like really really do the work and again mine was like three and a half to five years like i was literally doing some soul searching um because it took years for this mess to happen so it's gonna take years to undo the mess you yeah. just don't switch a light and all of a sudden Six months later, a year later, oh, you all good. And, you know, and I, to those who bounce right back into relationship after six months to a year, and, and that's your thing, that's your thing. That just wasn't my thing. I had to really process everything, not just things that were done to me, but also the things that I did to people. Because, you know, I did some stuff in my marriage that also mm -hmm. needed some cleaning up. You know, it wasn't all just, you know, my ex-spouse. There were some things that I could have did differently. Absolutely. I mean, that's across the board. I mean, everyone... It's it's funny because uh, I, I get the sense from you, similar to me, you sometimes worry about how things are going to be taken out of context and like used to hurt people who you're not trying to hurt. Like right. yesterday I was talking on, a, on I was interviewing someone else about whatever. I mean, failure, but like uh, talking about my dad and his bankruptcy and how my car got taken away from me because he went bankrupt because we have the same name. So, but I'm not talking shit about my dad. And I know if my family listened, they're only going to tell him <laughs> the shit I talk. And then I'm going to hear why you talking shit about your dad. Even though if they listen to the whole greater context, they would realize yeah. that I'm really just trying to share whatever the thing is. But to your point, like people are going to read into whatever they want and then they're going to like take it and use it to just make a point that it doesn't even need to be made necessarily, but to make you feel like you said something wrong or did something. So I, I like that you're trying to couch a lot of things in like, don't take it this way. Or if you're not this, don't be offended. And I'm the same way, but I wish a lot more people would 
take the flip side view is not to be so offended, not to try to look into things for the, for the negative way to read it, but just to look in for the insight, you know? And I think that's Um, just really how we wired in one of my uh, many practices that I, that I try to implement. um, I always try to convey message in which people can receive it. So what good is a message if you are conveying it to an audience who is not open to receive it? So your approach and your presentation and your delivery have to sometimes be presented in a way that people are going to receive it come out raw and disrespectful and you want somebody to receive and it's a beautiful message but it's not for that target audience then i mean you can't get mad if they don't receive it i mean you were a butthole when you delivered it (laughs) so um yeah always i mean i always keep in mind that i want people to receive what i'm saying yeah and i think i mean in the ideal scenario where everything you get to plan, you're still not going to reach a lot of people, you know, like, so like, no matter what, your stuff's going to get muddied up and not get heard the way you want it. So you might as well try to put it out the best way possible. So I like that. That's, you know, your mindset. We we are running a bit on time. I don't want to like keep you longer than you need to, but I do want to make sure at least ask you uh, a couple things. Well, there's really only two things that are uh, every episode. Um, The last one's going to be about where to find you and everything. And I'm pretty sure I know the answer to that, but it's, um, First, before we get into the get out of fail free card, which you're going to get in just a second, uh, is there any last comments on failure or the subject or the podcast in general that you want to make sure people hear before we uh, get into more future looking and and uh, not historical stuff? Yes. Yeah, so um, there's no for, for me, there's no sense of failure. Um, it's only, um, in my opinion, failure or weakness is just stating that you have an opportunity to learn or master whatever craft that you're trying to learn. So um, once I took failure out of my vocabulary and weakness, because, you know, they do strength and weaknesses, weaknesses. I don't even look at it as a weakness no more. I look at it as opportunities and my aspiration fuse my opportunity to master whatever it is that I want to master in life. Yeah, usually it's just not where you want to be yet. Yeah. And so, but, but but you will maybe get there. I mean, you you should be trying to get there. <laughs> and you know, and my goal, right? And so, my goal is to get there, right? But that's my goal. But then, then we talk about spirit. Yeah, is that your destiny? Is that your purpose? Is that your path? And so, we have to really get to a place where we accept and embrace our destiny and our path, because our destiny and our path may not be a mansion on a corner like Holyfield. I mean, even though I was like, I mean, I want a million dollars and I want a nice house, but you know what? That may not be in my future. Yeah. It's funny because I'm so behind on, on releasing these that I know that the episode I'm about to release says I'm going to move to California. And I know right now I'm living in Kansas city, Missouri. And I know that I would not, the guy who said California like a few weeks ago uh-huh. would not accept Kansas city, Missouri as an answer for where he lives because it's not on my whatever top 10 list of places I want to be or whatever the thing is. Uh, but being more comfortable with where I'm at and where I'm going is really the name of the game. So I think it's uh, and then, like I'm loving Kansas City, Missouri. And my point is I would never have considered it if I kept my old uh, expectations around like what is going to what's going to happen. I'm, I'm opening myself up more to like wherever the universe brings me. I'm not a religious guy anymore, but I'm just being OK with the randomness of life, you know, yeah. and like, yeah. uh, that's, whatever happens. That's beautiful. Just be present. I'm telling you, being present, they're going to, being present is going to open doors for exactly where you're supposed to be going. I had to learn it our way, man. Yeah. It's tough. And I was deeply religious for a long time with, uh, you know, I went to an all guys Catholic high school and stuff. And so like battling the, what should I be doing versus what am I doing? And like the, did I do enough yeah. uh, kind of thing? And the external judgment piece, uh, it can be tough when you don't know what you should be doing and yeah. like if you're doing the right thing. So a lot of times I was just following the blueprint and everyone said like, go to business school, do whatever, like do the things. And then I realized, like I was saying, no one knows what they're doing. Myself included, obviously. So well, we might as well have some fun with it and see exactly. what, what happens. Yeah. Um, so in that line, um, everyone of the guests, and I'm going to start, I think making an actual physical item. Uh, but at the moment I don't have that. So uh, get out of fail free card. I'll pick up one of my business cards. There's no lying here on the ground. Uh, so get out of fail free card is uh, similar to the monopoly card, but instead of getting out of jail, you can get out of failure. So if there's a specific thing you'd want to like uh, pursue singing opera, whatever Broadway musicals, I don't care what the thing is. And you couldn't fail. 
but uh-huh. you've it resisted it because you think it'd be cool, but you know, it's too much failure. <laughs> Would you use the card for something specific to go pursue and, uh, and do that you might've been avoiding because of the, just the abundance of failure that's, you know, laid out before you. Yeah. Probably dancing. Yeah. Do you think you're a bad dancer now or just not where you want to be? Um, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Probably I'm probably a bad dancer now. The older you get, the worse your <laughs> dancing becomes. <laughs> but I used to dance a lot as a child, and um, as I got older, I started having fun. And um, and we had a lot of fun growing up. We had a loving family. So the older I got, the more serious I became because it then became a hustle to kind of get out of the the hood, the projects, the ghetto, and make a life for myself. And not just for myself because I'm the older. So. I partially raised my brothers and sisters because my mom was a single parent. So I, I had, I felt I had a responsibility and it wasn't nothing that my mom put on me. It's just something yes. that I wanted to do. So I, re- I literally ended up moving my whole family to Atlanta, Georgia. I'm from Miami. I moved the whole family to Atlanta, Georgia, because I worked so hard to give us a different life to live. And so here we are. Yeah. <laughs> a- I mean, it's good. To, uh, so like I'm an only child and also similarly, don't blame my parents for anything they did specifically when they were raising me, but they struggled a lot. And I didn't have anyone to take care of besides myself. Now I got a dog. Maybe that's about it. Like I don't have to think about a bigger perspective. And so it's easier sometimes to not even care about myself. Cause if I'm the only one who's only skin in the game, it's easy to, to convince myself that I don't care or whatever. But when you have other people relying on you, there's definitely a different mentality that comes along with uh, how you can do it. So pursuing dancing, for example, I imagine wouldn't seem like a, a useful use of your time if you're trying to bring your family out of poverty and stuff like that. You know, like it's yeah. uh, it's an uh, an elective. It's something that's optional that that you, <laughs> well, you can't make money dancing uh, at least immediately. Yeah. Instantly, easily, you know. And so it's definitely one of those optional type of paths. But I think like those are what I see people using the card for most is things like that, which are like uh, either self-aggrandizing or uh, optional things that seem either very egotistical in their pursuit or just things that are uh, not money-making ventures uh, are typically what it is. Cause it's like, why am I going to spend all my time struggling just so I can dance better and <laughs> do nothing with it? Like a lot <laughs> is how it can seem. But who knows what kind of cool shit would happen if you did learn how to dance really well. Exactly. You know, between because I'm I'm very athletic. So between like dancing, working out, you can dance, work out, have fun and lose, you know, keep your abs at the same time. It's like a win win situation and learn new music. So mental health, too, because you'll feel better about yourself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just cha cha in the grocery store. Yeah. So you should be getting signed up for swing dance lessons or whatever it is, right? <laughs> Believe it or not, I was looking at um Zumba becoming a Zumba coach. Okay, nice. Yeah. Oh wow, you're gonna just jump right to coach. Yeah. Look, I am a leader by nature. I embrace that. I understand I have all I don't I don't have all the answers, but I do understand how to treat people and how to lead with a transformational mindset. So I do know yeah, that. Yeah. So that's good. I like that. So um, just the last thing I really want to ask is like, where can people go these days to find you? What's the best place for people to connect if they like what you're hearing or want to see what you're doing these days or whatever, want to know what's going on with you? Yeah. So I can be found um, on any social media platform, LinkedIn, as well at Love's Pursuit, A-T-L, and that's spelled L-O-V-E-S-P-U-R-S-U-I-T. ATL short for Atlanta and my website is lovespursuitatl.net not .com but .net and if anyone wants to purchase a book you can feel free to go to my website put in a code sane s a n e it'll give you a discount in addition to the discount I'm sending two free gifts I'm not telling you what the gifts are but <laughs> some, some gifts out there for those who make a purchase with the code sane awesome I'll make sure to put that in the show notes um, I appreciate you coming on and, uh, and sharing your your story and and all that uh, that I appreciate from everybody. But I do uh, I like that we're on the same vibe in terms of approach and view of of how to how to think about a lot of these things. I think a lot of times we might differ on, or not just me and you, but me and everyone really about whether you should call something a failure or not mm-hmm. <laughs> and things like that. But those are just details and like really the approach to living life. Yeah. Is, is I think the bigger thing that is 
important because um, I've found a lot of people are like actively telling me not to talk about failure as if failure, the word itself is the problem, which is uh, certainly not. I mean, I don't give a shit. If if the biggest problem is the word, that's fine. It's cool with me. Uh, it's more about how people deal with the actual reality of failing. And, you know, yeah. um, whatever you want to call it or however you want to experience it, it's more about just making sure that, like, I'm all about continuous education and lifelong learning and just getting yeah. better and trying to improve yourself. And so, like, whatever way people can read into that and get those kind of things from it, mm-hmm. I'm hoping that's what that's what, again i appreciate you coming on and sharing yourself no problem, uh, with that no problem no problem anytime you want me i am one phone call away as of today we are blood brothers <laughs> well then you'll be my first recurring guest for sure because i i <laughs> haven't offered that to anybody and i'm happy to do it so oh, meaning oh, i can't even get the episodes out and i i can talk forever i cannot uh, like you know edit an episode post it social media all the other stuff I'm getting better at that, but I'm saying I can talk endlessly. So like recording yeah. these, I could do it forever. When they get to the public, who the hell knows? Yeah. But <laughs> I'm going to figure that out and it'll get there eventually. I'm, I'm yes, assuming uh, it's right now. I'm going to tell everybody it's April 14th. I imagine let's say May 30th is when this uh, is probably come out. And that's probably going to be wrong. And I just want, I can't wait till I'm wrong. And it's like, <laughs> and I hear myself saying May 30th and it's like June 12th. And I'm like, God damn it. Uh, but anyways. <laughs> Uh, I appreciate you coming on and I, uh, I look forward to the uh, multiple conversations we'll have on, on different things. And if you want me to be on your, on your thing, or I don't know if you have a podcast. Yeah. Do the you? Same yes, you do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, what was it called again? So people the same think, project, the same project. That's why it's yeah. the same. That's why you have saying as a uh, code there. Oh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Perfect. Well, if you need any guests, uh, certainly no pressure, but I know I can easily talk and that'll get out quicker than this probably will. So <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining me on the Failure Guy podcast. If you enjoyed it, feel free to tell somebody. And don't forget, always try to fail it till you nail it. Till next time. Would you like to be more efficient, productive, and confident in your work at the office? Over 750 million people worldwide use Excel, yet it's still a misunderstood and frequently misused tool. That's why I created Excel Exposure, so you can work smarter and not harder. The Excel Essentials course gives you over 5 hours of in-depth video lessons, plus it comes along with my master workbook which has every function, shortcut, and all the examples to follow along. Investopedia actually included my course in their list of 6 best online Excel classes of 2021 saying it's best for visual learners. As someone who's an expert in failure, I can certainly teach you and your team how to avoid spreadsheet failures and create bulletproof Excel documents. Use the coupon code FAILURE for 20% off of the lifetime access price. Visit ExcelExposure.com for more information and also my existing award-winning free training.